All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Mo. Welcome, 8020 Baseball community. Welcome, youth coaches. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. It is great to be here with all of you this week. Today's episode, we're going to discuss a game changing mindset for all coaches that is both hard to swallow, but also very empowering. Also have a great quote that we can learn from as coaches that can guide us in our paradigm. In part two, I'm going to discuss something that I saw in an NBA game that we can use and we can learn from as coaches to be better coaches and really, I think, make the baseball community, the youth baseball community, a better place, avoid some big problems that happen and just change the culture and the mindset that I think is going to make more kids become winners in all facets of life. And it's a win-win strategy that causes a lot of problems in sports, youth sports. And in this case, it's an NBA example that you can all go see on YouTube real quick. So we'll get to that in part two. If you have not already, go back, listen to episode 160. I gave a key off-season arm health tip, plus something that we should avoid talking about with our hitters in order to minimize their potential. Send me your thoughts on that. Email me your thoughts, coachbo at 8020baseball.com, coachbo8020baseball.com. Give me your thoughts on that. This, I think, is super important and it's not done consistently. And I've never coached with a coach that didn't bring up strikeouts insofar as they want their hitters to avoid strikeouts. They would talk to their hitters about strikeouts. Hey, if I'm a pitching coach, talk about strikeouts. That's cool. Getting ground balls is good. Getting outs quick with one pitch is good. Getting strikeouts is good. But as a hitting coach or as a coach that is coaching hitters, go back and listen to the thoughts on that about avoiding the discussion centered around strikeouts or avoiding strikeouts and really center it on what we want kids to do, not what we don't want them to do. Focus them on the outcome that we want, on the process that we want to follow. Hey, don't think of a pink elephant, right? We've all heard that, and that's what we're doing with the strikeouts, and I'm not a fan of this. Try this season not bringing up strikeouts. I'm not saying you can't use that word strikeout, but I just don't think we should coach up to avoiding strikeouts, coach up our hitters to avoid strikeouts. When you're coaching up your hitters, let's center it what to do, hitting plan, hitting approach, timing, pitch selection, swing technique, and go from there. All right, let's jump in. Part one. This might be one of the hardest things to digest and to accept as coaches. I know it was very challenging for me when I first started coaching, but it's something that when we do this and when we get this mindset and believe in it, we will be so much better at coaching, but also it will be freeing and it will give you a sense of control, a lot more control. A coach that doesn't feel they have control over their team, and I'm not talking about like puppet type of control, but just control of the environment, control of the culture, control of the hustle, control of the direction that you want your team to go. It's a bad place to be. And when I first started coaching, that was a fear. When I first started getting into education, teaching, that was a fear. A biggest fear of mine as a teacher getting in 18 years ago was what I have control or can I control the class? Can I control these kids? And again, I've shared with you 15 years ago, I got a gig in 2007. I got a gig working North Long Beach, Long Beach, Jordan High. Love my time there. I spent three years full-time teaching North Long Beach High. And those kids are from North Long Beach, but a lot of them are from Compton and Watts. 
that is a very tough neighborhood to grow up in. It's just a lot of crime. There's a lot of problems, a lot of great kids, a lot of great kids coming through there that just need some guidance. But my fear was being able to get them to buy in and to give them that guidance. Could I even control the class to then get them going in the right direction in a positive direction? So the fear as a coach of not having control of your team or of a group of kids is worrisome. Most coaches, I think, go through this when they're young. Teachers, I just hope the class respects me. I hope they listen to me. I hope I can get them to do what I want. I hope I can control the class. Now I'm going to splice in a message from somebody who I think is one of the best leaders. One of those people that truly gets leadership, coaching, call it what you want at the highest level. Many of you have heard his name, Jocko Willink. I'm going to splice in a quote from Jocko Willink. When I first heard this, it wasn't, it didn't hit me as hard, but if you would have shared this with me when I first started, I would have not wanted to swallow what he said, the information. It would have been the toughest pill to swallow. I would have tried to disagree. I would have tried to fight it mentally. I would have done anything to resist the truth behind what he's about to say here. So I'm going to splice it in. Here you go. And what makes it hard is our ego. The hardest thing to hear as a leader, it's a great excuse, right? Oh, we failed because my team, they don't understand. They're new guys. They don't work hard. They didn't move with a sense of purpose. There's a million things that your team did wrong and that's why you failed, right? No, actually all wrong. If your team is not performing, it's not your team's fault. It's your fault. You're in charge of them. Wow. It's really hard to accept that on its surface. As a coach, we want to say that the kids can or are responsible for themselves. And to a point they are. Jocko Willink, I think, has a unbelievable understanding of leadership and coaching. He has coached up and been the leader of teams that have to deal with and overcome things and work together to accomplish things that even professional or college teams, much less youth baseball teams, would ever hope to come close to having to do what they have to do, what they're expected to do, and the results that can come from not having perfect leadership or life and death. And so they have to get it right. So there's a lot more incentive. There's a lot more incentive. And we all know incentive in life is huge, massive in terms of growth and innovation. And I think Jocko gets it. He understands it because he had to understand it. And he spent 20 years as a Navy SEAL. When Jocko says, it's not our team's fault, it's our fault as coaches. This is hard to swallow, but if you think about it twice, if you think about this, if we think about this just a little bit more, you start to see that this is actually saying that we are in charge. The power is within us to guide our team or to not guide our team to where we want to go. So at first you're like, oh, wow, that's harsh, right? If my team's not hustling, if the practices are disorganized and the kids are off task, that's on me as a coach. If my team goes up there and strikes out a lot, that's on us as coaches. If our pitchers are not doing great across the board, that's on us, the coaches, especially those things like discipline, hustle. That's on the coach. I know most of you have heard this phrase. It's a reflection on the coach or maybe even a reflection on the parent if it's a kid that's acting up. Now, here's the difference between one-offs and say kids. I don't think this holds true as much for kids, your own kid or your kids, because I think you can do everything perfect as a parent. Not that we ever would. We're not going to be perfect, but you can do everything really good as a parent, mom, dad. And there's still maybe a chance that there's going to be mistakes. There will be mistakes. Those kids aren't going to be perfect. They're going to make errors. They're going to mess up. You're going to get a phone call from school. There is a difference, in my opinion, when it comes to a collective team and definitely when you're working with a baseball team versus your own kids. The baseball team, most of those kids are much more likely to listen to you. You're the coach. And you can get the group going together a lot better. 
trying to get one kid motivated is actually harder than getting a lot of kids motivated because getting the kids to work together and motivate each other and also you don't one of them doesn't want to be the outlier and they want to keep up and they don't want to let the team down you think about collective punishment it is a good thing in certain situations because it can lift up the team together because they don't want their teammates to get hammered with a consequence because of something they did that's really not a good place kids want to be so I do think there's more control over a team than like your own kid at home. I do. And if you disagree with that, maybe I'm missing something. But I think overall that holds true. And so this clip that I spliced in from Jocko, I got it from a podcast. And it wasn't his podcast. It wasn't the Jocko Willink podcast. It was another one. And I, for some reason, I didn't jot it down when I save all this. And I have show notes. And I have a template that I use for all of these podcasts. And I have the MP3 part clipped in here that I grabbed. I can't find where I got the podcast and you know what? I'll find it and I'll give the attribution as soon as I do. But uh, with that said, when you know and you accept and when we accept that our team is going to be low hustle team or a high hustle team based off of us as the coaches, that's empowering. That's empowering. When our team is playing the game the right way or not playing the game the right way and that's on us, that's actually empowering. Now, it goes both ways, just like any responsibility and accountability. It's like freedom. We all understand this. Hopefully, we all understand this. The more freedom you get, there is a direct correlation with having more responsibility. With freedom comes responsibility. And that's why a lot of people, I think, don't they, don't they don't really want a lot of freedom sometimes because they don't want the responsibility. They push it off on somebody else and they'll give up their freedom for less accountability. And I'm not going to get into that right now, but it does hold true again here with being a coach. So knowing that we are responsible and accountable for our teams and how they hustle and how they play to an extent, how well they do on the pitching mound, how well they do on defense, how well they do the plate overall. Of course, if you have one pitcher have a bad outing, that's not a reflection on you necessarily, or one hitter goes 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. It's more of a culmination, or I should say a summation of how your team does overall. That's the reflection. It's not the one-offs or even one game, but overall, is your team a high hustle team? That's a reflection on you. We are responsible for that as coaches. And I can't tell you how true this is. My first year of teaching, I had 55 kids. Like I said, my first year of full-time teaching, I did substitute teaching for two years. And again, I started coaching almost 20 years ago. So I was coaching before I started teaching. But when I got into teaching, the first year I had 55 kids in each class, PE out there on the field, soccer field, baseball field, on the basketball court. So it's a sports environment. And trying to get 55 kids that are about 5% already in gangs. There's a lot of issues. It's inner city. It's really a rough area. Like I've said, I was not very good. And I know a lot of teachers at the school I was at, same with coaches I've heard over the years, and they say, I got a bad group this year, or these kids these days, you know, these kids are just not controllable. Or I thought, I'm glad I didn't accept that because I wasn't a very good teacher my first year. But by the third year, my end of my second year, third year over there, Long Beach, Jordan High, my kids, it was incredible, the transformation. And it wasn't, the kids weren't any different, but it was me that was different. It was my expectations, how I ran the class. I got better at building trust and rapport, but I held them to high standards. And you know what? They really all wanted it. They liked that. It wasn't so much the standards of, hey, you got to run the mile in five minutes and 10 seconds, or you got to make five three-pointers in a row, or you fail the class. It was more like when that bell rings, I wanted all 55 of those kids to be sitting out there on their number before the bell rang. When we moved from one area of the PE area, from say the basketball courts out to the soccer field, when we moved, I timed them. 
Now, I was reasonable at that time because not all those kids were in the best of shape. I had some pretty heavy ninth graders. And so I would give them a reasonable time. I might say, you got 60 seconds to have everybody out there on the line facing the field because I was going to come out and show them a little bit how to kick, throw, whatever. And if they didn't, I had them go all the way back and do it again, the entire class. And I would do this. And sometimes it would take two or three times. And in fact, I would have them jog back and say, all right, you got to jog back. Everybody's got to jog back. You got to jog back in less than 35 seconds or 40, something reasonable, but push them a little bit. And just these little examples right here, when I started doing these little examples that actually were more like 10 or 15 things like this, it was amazing how that class shaped up the way I wanted it. And it hit me, hey, it was my responsibility. My class, the kids, they're not in control. The coach is in control. Now, of course, we don't have ultimate control. Right? You know, you shouldn't be physically pushing and grabbing and throwing kids to do. You shouldn't be touching the kid. But we have truly the control of our teams. And I think Jocko's quote is really empowering, although at first very hard to swallow. So I think that's something interesting to gather. It's like he would say it's the dichotomy of leadership responsibility. Oh, man, my team sucks. That's on me. But that's a good thing, not a bad thing. That's a good thing. If you truly want to be a great leader, I recommend you read Jocko's books. I recommend you listen to his books. And anything he says about his teams, just apply to your teams. I'm telling you, just because he was coaching up and leading teams with 20-year-old military Navy SEALs, the principles, the foundational principles are the same and just as applicable to any kid, any team. In fact, with our society, we probably need to get a little bit more back to that approach because we've gone so far and overcorrected with the coddling and so forth. I do recommend Jocko's book and tell yourself, I'm responsible for this team or the coaching staff is responsible. If our team does X, Y, or Z, we are the reason, not them. We are the reason they did X, Y, and Z. Of course, this isn't one-off incidents or one-off events or even one-off games for the most part. But overall, it's on us as coaches, and that is empowering, and that is awesome because then that gives you the sense that, hey, all right, then I can make it better. If, it, if I'm responsible for them sucking at whatever, then I can be responsible for them being better at whatever, and that's pretty cool. It's a good feeling to have when you step out on the field. All right, here is the quote one more time, and then we're going to part two. And what makes it hard is our ego. The hardest thing to hear as a leader, it's a great excuse, right? Oh, we failed because my team, they don't understand. They're new guys. They don't work hard. They didn't move with a sense of purpose. There's a million things that your team did wrong and that's why you failed, right? Actually all wrong. If your team is not performing, it's not your team's fault. It's your fault. You're in charge of them. Always good stuff from Jocko. Now, moving on to the quote of the week. We got to keep this podcast moving as much as I could just dive in more on Jocko and that mindset. I gave you enough. I think you can run with that. We'll come back down the road. We'll hit on it again to keep honing that paradigm. But let's get to our quote of the week. Quote about the only problem with success is that it does not teach you how to deal with failure. End quote. Tommy Lasorda. So I'm batching a couple Tommy Lasorda quotes in here. That being that I shared one last week and next week will be somebody different, but I like to batch these quotes together because the mindset is very similar. Of course, it's the same person saying it. So if you didn't hear Timeless Order's quote from last week, go back and listen to that. But this one about the only problem with success is that it does not teach us how to deal with failure. Did you know Tommy Lasorda is a Hall of Fame manager? Many of you know that. If you didn't, Tommy Lasorda is a Hall of Fame manager. Wow, Tommy Lasorda must have won a lot of games. Must have had a 40-year coaching career. 
He didn't coach for 40 years. His career was about 21 seasons-ish. And I bet if I were to survey the audience, if you would have asked me two weeks ago before I was putting this, I'm always a couple weeks out, two, three weeks out on my episodes as far as scripting them and knowing what I'm going to talk about. Speaking of which, next week I have a great interview coming. I haven't recorded it. I'm recording it in two days, but it will be ready for next week. It'll be ready next week's episode. I have a great episode coming. Reached out to somebody I think is an up and coming and and a really good strength and conditioning coach. I've been following him on Twitter. I love the stuff he says. I love the paradigm that he's coming from. And I know he's worked with some of the top baseball strength and conditioning coaches out there in the country, in the United States at least. And I'm bringing him on Tuesday. He's excited to come on and I'll share that out. I'm really excited about having this strength and conditioning coach on there because we're going to center around youth baseball and youth baseball and even high school baseball. When I say youth, under 18, the goal should be different for strength and conditioning. The time allocation, the time restraints are going to be different. Definitely for youth baseball, we're going to dive into the conditioning. So that's been on the plate. That's on the back burner for two or three weeks. So I script these out in advance. And when I was digging up on time of the sort of, Something hit me. I go, I got to check Tommy Lasorda's win-loss percentage. And I thought, I know it wasn't outstanding. I know it wasn't like 70 or 80%, like just incredible. Those are unheard of in baseball, right? So I thought, I wonder what it is. Tommy Lasorda, Hall of Fame manager, Hall of Fame manager, won only 53% of his games. He literally was a 50-50 coach. He lost 47% of the time. I'm not a big fan about wins and losses, but I think it's important that we keep in context, and that's why I'm sharing this. You as a baseball coach are going to lose games, and some of you may lose a decent amount, hopefully less. You should lose a lot less if you've been listening to this podcast and definitely over the last 161 episodes, but you're going to lose. Unless your season's short enough and you get a bounce go your way, you're going to lose. Tommy Lasorda, Hall of Fame manager, he won four NL pennants. He won the National League four times, made it to the World Series four times. In fact, his first five full seasons, he made it to the World Series three times. He won in his fifth season in 81, but he lost 47% of his games. So keep that in mind when you're out there. Keep your ego in check. You're going to lose games. It's all good. What really matters is working on the foundations of our kids, working on them as better people, working on their skill development, and building them up from the ground up. You're going to win more games if you listen to this, but more importantly, you're going to win with your players and you're going to build winning people. Your kids are going to become winning people as they get older. I just wanted to share that Tommy Lasorda. I thought it would have been like 58% of his games he won or maybe 59 or maybe even 60%, which is a really high number for baseball coaches. 53% of the time he won, 47% of his games he lost. Basically a 50-50, he would win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Hall of Fame manager. So his quote about the only problem with success is that it does not teach you how to deal with failure. And I thought about that actually this morning, unrelated to, I'm recording this early in the morning, but even before it hit me, maybe one of the worst things that can happen to a coach is winning a championship early on. I can think of two or three coaches I know personally that won championships, and I'm basically college or high school here, that won early on. And then I think they thought they were, or at the time at least, they probably overestimated how good they were as a coach. Maybe they didn't, but I think one of the worst things that I've 
probably seen, and I saw it firsthand with a coach, had a lot of success early on. And then the attitude was it was my way or the highway. There was really very little room for growth or change. Definitely no overhauling the system or the program or the process that they were using. They had success. When you start breaking it down a little more, they had a couple of bounces go their way that could have changed the season completely. They also had some stud players that didn't always come through their system or through their program. And yeah, they were good coaches. Definitely. Were they bad coaches? No, of course not. They're not bad coaches. But they might have thought they were the best coach in all the land. If you have won a championship early on, be very careful. It's not a curse, like the curse of the Bambino, but there definitely can be that success leading to not wanting to grow, feeling like you got to figure it out, feeling like you already got to the top. You're at the top. Why change? Just be careful with that. Now, if you win three championships in a row your first three years or four, okay, okay. And now we're talking maybe a little different. In fact, remember John Wooden didn't win a championship until about his... 16th year of head coaching and then like his 20th year of coaching, he didn't win a championship. John Wooden, considered the GOAT or one of the GOATs, didn't win. And we've talked about that. So Tomulus sort of great quote. The only problem with success is that it does not teach you how to deal with failures. Now, is that true? I don't think that's completely true. I think we can avoid falling into this trap, the success trap. I think we can avoid it, but we also have to understand that we're not as good as we think we are on our best days, most likely, and I'm not as good a coach as I think I am on my best days, and I'm not as bad a coach on the worst days or the worst games. We got to check the ego, the ego aside, should always be looking for praise, you should always be looking for what your team is doing, you should always look for little incremental improvements, and you should also be humble enough and have enough humility to know that, hey, you might have won that game, but your base running skills definitely did not help, or your team's pitching definitely needs to get better or three or four of your players in your lineup need to have a better approach. Do you go and talk about that all the time with the players? Not necessarily. You don't need to point out all these flaws all the time. Don't be the coach that wins a game and doesn't give praise and is always just negative. I've seen those. I've worked with coaches like that. The team could win big and they're just going to find five things that the team sucked at and they only say one positive. It's like, come on, let's not get to that. And if that's the way you coach and that's the way you want to coach, this isn't the podcast for you. I'm a straight shooter. I love discipline. I'm literally sharing Jocko Willink, splicing in Jocko Willink, who's as straightforward as they come, as tough as they come, as tough love as they come. But I don't think we should go out there and win a game and just go straight to all the things we need to fix. If anything, let it simmer, come back to it the next practice, or hit on one thing. But it definitely should be a ratio where there's much more praise and positivity. You can enforce good things. You can enforce good skills, technique, and good attitude, good hustle, good team culture through praise. You can infor- you can improve it through praise as much as correction sometimes. Now, part two, as you can see, the template's been part one, then the quote, then part two. And here in part two, Zion, Zion. If you've never been to Zion National Park in Utah, what a cool place. Most everybody knows Yellowstone. Most everybody's heard of the Everglades. Most everybody's heard of Glacier National Park or Yosemite. Those are really big. Or the Grand Canyon. Those are hugely, or I should say, very well-known places to visit. Parks, places to visit. One place that isn't, I don't think is as well-known, definitely out on the East Coast, and even on the West Coast here, where it's not too far away, is Zion National Park. Zion, go look it up. Just beautiful. Zion's a different type of beauty. It's just a different kind of beauty that's very different. It's just amazing. It's really beautiful. Go check that out online. Anyways, Zion Park. But the basketball player, Zion Williamson. I don't follow basketball that much. Growing up, I did. I could tell you everything about Michael Jordan. I could tell you everything about 90s basketball, but I don't follow it as much now. 
but I saw this the other the other day. Zion Williamson. He was playing against. It was on December 9th. so this was a couple weeks ago or ten days ago or so. And Zion slam dunked a ball. He did some amazingly cool a windmill dunk. It was awesome. He did the coolest windmill, just really threw it home with, it was emphatic. Now to give you some context, the game was over. There was only like four or five seconds left and he could have just held the ball and time would have ran out. And they're playing the Phoenix Suns. They're playing CP3, Chris Paul. And he takes the ball and does this windmill dunk. And it was more points than they needed. They didn't need those points. And the Suns, it almost went to be in a fight. There was a lot of words going back and forth. They were getting in each other's face. It was very close to being a fight over what I thought was completely acceptable. Zion didn't taunt. He didn't taunt. There was no trash talk. There was nothing wrong with it, in my opinion. Zion knows he's an entertainer. His paycheck is paid for by the fans. He wanted to put on a show. He wasn't trying to show anybody up. I think if you would have showed me that clip 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when I started coaching, I would have said, that's terrible. You can't have that. You can't do that. That's showing up the other team. And I've shared out how I've completely 180 on this. And the reason being, as long as the other team doesn't taunt, the other team doesn't stare down the other the opposing team or the or, or your team or the, or your team does it to the other team, as long as there's no trash talk, as long as there's no taunting, as long as it's them playing hard and just or putting on a show for the fans at the professional level, but even at the youth level, as long as they're just playing hard and there's no blatant, obvious visual disrespect besides them just scoring a few more runs. I'm telling you, we need to get away from this as a culture, a youth coach, a sports culture, a youth sports culture, and even a culture in general. I'm telling you that we need to get to the part where if the other team scores a bunch of runs, so what? Let them keep scoring. Take that back. Don't let them keep scoring, but don't have a problem if they keep scoring. And the other team shouldn't have a problem if you keep scoring runs insofar as you're not taunting or trash talking or anything disrespectful. So it shouldn't happen. Zero tolerance for disrespect, taunting, trash talking, zero tolerance. So with that said, your job is to stop the other team. Their job is to stop you. And I'll tell you what, nothing is more humiliating than losing and having the other team start to feel sorry for you. And show it. Not going home on a pass ball that literally ricochets around the continent. And they just sit there at third base with their hands crossed. That, to me, is way more embarrassing and humiliating than having that extra run and now we're losing by 14 instead of 13. And I saw this with Dave Kapler get all crazy with the Giants during the season. I lost a lot of respect for that. That's a major league manager. Team drag bunts? Team bunts? Team bunts, I think they're up seven runs in the third inning and the other team bunted and he lost it. We got to get away from this. This is, a, this is, I think, something that we all as coaches need to realize. I personally recommend you have a talk with the other team, the coach before the game. Just have a talk. When you meet with the coach, say, hey, if y'all get up a lot on us, just keep playing hard. Keep scoring, doing your thing. Just keep doing your thing. Hey, no trash talk. Let's make sure we don't trash talk. Let's make sure we're not disrespecting. We're not taunting. Your celebration stay with your team. Nothing towards us. My team won't celebrate towards you. We'll just play the game the right way. We'll respect each other, but you, we're not going to shut it down. We're just going to keep playing the way we played all game. And I want you all to do the same thing. Can we agree on that? Yes, yes, boom. I would set it up before the game. I would share this out. I don't even think you should slow up going first to third on, on a single with an aggressive first to third, maybe even a bang-bang play. If that player is already going to do that in the second inning in a 1-1 game, they should do it in the sixth inning of a game that's 15 to nothing, assuming there's no run rule, 10 run rule, etc. 
So I saw Zion dunk it, and they got. It. I was like, man, he just dunked a really cool dunk. The fans, it was cool. It's an entertainment. It's just fun. Sports is about having fun. At that level, it's a little bit about entertainment, or a lot about entertainment, or all about entertainment. But it should be fun. I think that young kids see that, and then young coaches see that, and they go, oh, that's how it's played. That's how sports should be played. You don't run up the score. There's no such thing as running up the score. You just keep scoring. Just do what you're going to do. It's not like you're running it up. You're just running the score. You're just scoring. And I know some of you now are probably not in sync with with my mindset on this or, or my opinion on this. But I'm telling you, you coach long enough and you really think about it. I addressed the biggest problem, and that was disrespect, trash talk, taunting. No way should that ever happen at any time. First inning, third inning, 14th inning shouldn't happen. But that aside, nothing is more embarrassing than watching the other team go base to base on a ball that gets hit off the wall or a ball that they should have easily, they literally sit there and don't go anywhere. They sit there on third or they sit there on second while your team is fumbling the ball over there and you're like, that's pity play. You don't want pity play. Trust me, you don't want this. Your kids don't want it. Tell your team, hey, they're going to keep scoring runs. Our job is to stop them. Their job is not to stop themselves. And our job, our team's job is to not stop ourselves. It's for the other team to stop us. So their job is to stop us. Our job is to stop them. And that's that. And I think it's really important to talk about this before to avoid problems. And some of you have coached long enough, you've seen this or seen it multiple times. And it can get ugly at the end of a game if there's not an understanding. On it. Just tell them, hey, you do your thing. You score your runs. We'll score our runs. No taunting, no disrespect. You stay with your team, celebrate over there, and we'll be good. Just completely respectful, but don't slow down. Don't slow your offense down because you're whooping us. And we're not going to slow our offense down and start playing a different type of game because we're whooping you. We're just going to keep playing. And uh, really think about it. I'm just on the fundamental level of the pity play. When you have the other team feeling pity and sorrow, that's the worst. That's the worst. So just from that point of alone, you should start to see it from how I'm sharing it out and how I'm seeing it now. Although I didn't see it the, that way at the beginning of my career, but uh, that definitely took a 180. It took a 180 about year eight of coaching, but it's been changed for a long time. And with that said, if you have not gone over and got your drill design guide at 8020 Baseball, go get the drill design guide. It's about 21 pages. It's going to be sent to you. You can read it. It's a good time to read it over the holidays. You get a little extra time possibly. Read through that. It'll really get your paradigm set on how to build out the seven to eight steps you need or parts to a perfect or great drill. Follow on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball and support the podcast. At a minimum, just leave a review on your podcast, an honest review or even just a rating on your podcast platform. That's good. That's a big thing. It helps the podcast go to the top and more coaches can see and get this message because we want to make the baseball community, youth baseball community, a much better place. So with that said, if you could do that, be great. And email me your success stories as they come up. I get a lot of emails, success stories. Email me your success stories, coachbo at 8020baseball.com. Next week, I think you're going to hear some interesting stuff. And until next week, take care of your health, your families, your close friends. Take this out to the field and use it. Use this stuff out on the field, in the cages. Use this information. Go use it because it's useless unless you use it. Love being here with all of you. Thank you. Take care. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field. 